have your electronic devices, your smartphones. We're going to go over to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. I think you know where we're landing in our series. Our, simple, our series is called Simple Faith. It's not that complicated, but it's hard. And this morning, it's a rather appropriate message in light of what's taking place around the world today. We're going to talk about for those who contend for peace. So we're going to go into Matthew chapter 5, and in just a minute we're going to read the text. A little bit of, how many of you really, really enjoy world history? Anybody that's a world history buff? Yeah, a few of you. It's, it's kind of when you talk about history, people go, I don't know if I should raise my hand or not. There's a lot to learn when we look back in world history. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in preparing for this morning, we went back and did a real quick sample on world history. Did you know that in the last 4,000 years of recorded human history, the last 4,000 years of recorded human history, there have been less than 300 years in which there was peace. Think about that. Over a 4,000-year span, you could only pick out 300 years in that 4,000 years where peace would have been, the semblance of peace around a global perspective. That's 10%. That's less than 10%. So if we were to take, you know, what uh, medical professionals tell us, that on average we're going to live somewhere you know, 84 years approximately. That means if we were to look at our lifetime and live a normal average lifetime, that there's a good reality that less than eight of the years in which we live will be years where the world experienced true peace or at least the absence of war and conflict. And that's staggering. I think every one of us every day wrestles with and is impacted by the conflict. You, don't, you turn on the news. I mean, how many of you have been watching the news the last week? I, it's incredible. I just started writing some of the things down. We've, been, we've learned nothing from history. You know, even though we've had 4,000 years of which only 300 have had some semblance of peace, and it seems man has learned nothing from history. We've been watching this past seven days as our world was thrust back into a very global and tentative experience. Civil unrest in the Middle East continues unabated. Peace in Syria seems unattainable. There's the escalation of the conflict between the Hamas and Israel. This past week, you probably watched it. I got up this morning, I turned on the news. You know, absolutely shocked. Over 200 rocket-propelled missiles launched by the Hamas into Israel. Israel aerial attacks back to stop the aggression. Peace agreements between Israel and Egypt are tentative. Iran, North Korea, Afghanistan, Nigeria, nations in conflict. And they're not the only ones. I went on to Google. I thought it wouldn't be interesting to find out what some of the current thinking is. I didn't know there was actually a site like this. There is a site that tracks and monitors conflict on an annual basis. So here's a little map. This is a picture of world conflict in 2012 with a little appendix down at the bottom to show you. The dark purple show regions that are highly engaged in conflict, then down the scale to the gray where the gray shows calm. And if you look at that map and you realize the sweeping impact of conflict in our world and what's not even identified is the most recent conflicts which have taken place between Israel and uh, over on that Middle Eastern, Near Eastern front. It's just a powerful, sobering reality. It's worth noting when you look at that map that Canada doesn't appear as one of those nations in conflict. In fact, we have a reputation for being a peacemaker. 
One of the great parts of being a citizen of Canada, for those of you that travel, you know this, that when you travel and people try to identify your accent, are you fairly quick to identify yourself as a Canadian and not as one of your cousins to the south? Yeah. Why do we do that? It's because our flag is represented and respected globally, and people look at Canada as a nation of peacekeepers. And it's something that we should be proud of. But it's much deeper. Yeah, go ahead. I think it's, it's wonderful. We live in an incredible nation. But it's never anything that we, re- we can really take for granted. See, the reality is everybody wants world peace. Now, we might have different ideologies. We might have different pathways. We might have different ways of achievement. But I believe that deep down, world peace is something that everyone wants, and it is a common aspiration for everyone. peace. Definitely world peace. That's easy. World peace. World peace. What is the one most important thing our society needs? That would be harsher punishment for parole violators, Stan. And world peace. All right, just a light look at it, but it's true, isn't it? World peace. It's something we talk about, it's something we desire, but it just seems so elusive. Now take your Bibles out this morning, we're going to get into Matthew chapter 5. We're going to talk about for those who contend for peace. And it's interesting, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 found himself in his audience surrounded by people whose personal lives were marked by the absence of peace. I, I think we forget... We read the Bible through our lens of understanding. We forget to transport ourselves back into the context to realize that those that listen to Jesus on the hills in northern Galilee, you know, we have a beautiful picture of the sun shining down and you got the blue water sea of Galilee and Jesus goes up in the mountainside. He sits down and there's flowers and the birds are tweeting and people come and gather around. And so serene and wonderful. What we forget is that the people that were listening to Jesus, their world was anything but peaceful. See, the nations and the world rulers may have donned different names at the time, but their experience, the world atmosphere, was rife with tension, war, and conflict. We have to remember that for numerous centuries, Israel and the Jewish people had been subject to foreign rule, whether it was Egyptian or Syrian or Babylonian or Persian or Greek or Roman. There were only minimal and brief periods whereby they experienced independence And even within those, pieces and moments where true peace reigned. At the time of Jesus in this discourse that we're about to look at this morning, we have to be reminded that Rome ruled the Mediterranean area. The Jewish people had a great deal of distrust and disdain for Rome because they were the dominant, powerful, controlling ones. The local Jewish king or monarch and government, they were merely puppet leaders who all were appointed by Rome and basically paid tribute back to Rome. Heavy, heavy taxation and pressure was imposed upon the Jewish people. Peace was tenuous, and any civil unrest was immediately met with swift and decisive action. Never forget, when Jesus taught, it had been barely 30 years since Herod had unleashed an infanticide in Bethlehem. 
And the baby boys, two years old and under, were wiped out because of his fear and his pride. Peace is not something that these people knew. It was also Herod who placed within the temple the forbidden idols that would cause the people to stumble. It was also Herod who would tax the people to build tributes of honor towards Caesar. And these efforts resulted in greatly increased measures of animosity and angst. So to further aggravate the tension in the life, according to Jewish mindset, never forget this, according to Jewish mindset, there are only two people groups in the world. You are either a Jew or you were a Gentile. And any self-respecting Jew worked hard at disassociating themselves from a Gentile. So that just served to create this undercurrent of tension. This is the context for Jesus' audience around the Sea of Galilee. And so as, as Jesus teaches and as we read these incredibly beautiful words out of the Beatitudes, these people are filtering all of his words through their lens of contemporary understanding, not some 2,000 years removed like we are. So imagine with me for a moment the faces of those in the audience. For those who would aspire to be citizens of God's kingdom, they love to hear Jesus talk about the kingdom of God. They aspire to have what this citizenship would offer them. And so what appears to be the least contentious of the Beatitudes may in fact prove to be their most challenging yet. So with that, I want you to look at your Bibles at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. Take out of your bulletins the outline. We're going to take a few notes this morning, and you can also go online to you version. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, here's what we read. So Jesus says to this rather pensive crowd, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Now, let's stop for a moment. What did Jesus not say? There's a lot here he didn't say. When you think about it, Jesus did not say, blessed are the peaceful, because we all aspire to that. We want to be peaceful people. Nothing wrong, but Jesus did not say, blessed are the peaceful. There is a very important distinction to make in the text. Jesus was not saying, blessed are those who are of a peaceful disposition. He was not saying, blessed are those who yearn or want or desire and who aspire for peace. He was not saying, blessed are those who are the easygoing, the laissez-faire, the more relaxed. He was not saying, blessed are those who live by the motto, live and let live, and don't stir it up. And he wasn't saying, blessed are those countries or those sectors or those societies or those individuals or those individuals who have the appearance of peace. Jesus was accurate, pinpoint accuracy for a purpose. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. There is an action inherent in his teaching here. So if you were one of the 12 that had been called in, and he's looking in the eyes of those disciples and the crowds pressed in all around him, imagine the thought that is racing through their mind. Are you kidding me? A peacemaker? Roman centurions, easily identified in the landscape. Rome's imprint all over the land. Roman flags valiantly defying Jewish independence. And Jesus dare calls us to be peacemakers. It's very interesting. What Jesus was really saying is, blessed are you who refuse to stand by and watch 
but you readily embrace the opportunity to end strife and conflict, disputes, misunderstanding, prejudice, tension, and injustice. Blessed are those who are willing to actively engage with God in the divine work of reconciliation. He said, blessed are you who do this, for you will be called the sons of God. And very interesting. Just before I, I jump off of this point for a moment, Jesus uses a phrase that says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Now, I want you to look at your Bibles. Some of you, depending on what version you have, some of you will have, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And some have, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Do you see that? So the, the difference is very slight, but it is an intentional. And I want to share with you something about Jewish mindset. When you look at this phrase in here where it says children, if you think about children, children denotes position in a family. Son denotes character. And if you go back into Jewish mind thought, what Jesus was driving at is he was saying, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. It's just a little more of an accurate rendering of the text here because what Jesus was getting at is if you are a peacemaker, not if you're peaceful, but if you're a peacemaker... He said, then you are those who have the character of God. And he says, there's a blessing for you for being a peacemaker, for others will see you as having the character of God. Very slight, but we don't pick it up in our Western mindset very often. And so we use phrases, and, and to understand this, if in their culture, in their time, somebody were to say, uh, I'll, I'll pick on Johnny this morning. If I were to say, Johnny is, uh, are you going to forgive me, by the way? I saw you on the screen. Are we Okay. If I were to say, Johnny is the son of a dog, I didn't say the other word, son of a dog, I wouldn't be casting aspersions on Johnny's parent or lineage. I would be casting aspersion on his character. That's according to the mindset here. So when Jesus was saying, blessed are the peacemakers, you will be called, so Johnny will be called the son of God, I would be saying, this man has the character of God in him. So get this. You've got this unsettled tension in Palestine, in Israel. You've got this growing desire. Simon the Zealot is listening to Jesus going, let me at the Romans. We're going to get there. We will overthrow and cast them out of the land. And Jesus goes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. There's so much truth that is packed into this beatitude that we cannot afford to move off of it without understanding the principles. So if the beatitude is the call to be a peacemaker, then what are the principles that Jesus is hoping that maybe we will discover and apply to our everyday lives? And this is what I want to leave you with this morning. I think very important that we leave with action. So get your notes out. Let's fill in a few blanks together. And maybe later in your small groups, you can dive into this just a little bit deeper or in your personal prayer and reflection time. I want you to really wrestle with what Christ is calling us to. Well, here, give me the first thing. Here's the first principle that we discover in this truth, that the pursuit of peace is a non-negotiable expectation for citizens of God's kingdom. That those who would call themselves a citizen of the kingdom of God, what Jesus was making a declaration is that the pursuit of peace then is a non-negotiable expectation. You cannot be a citizen of God's kingdom without being a peacemaker. Now, I don't know what your family was like growing up, uh, but maybe here's just a quick question for all of us to think about. Did you ever have a fight 
Now think back. Some of you got to go way back. Did you ever have a fight either with your best friend or maybe one of your siblings when you were very young? Just a quick show of hands. You're in church, people. All right. All right, yeah, we, we all had those. Now, you remember what happened when you have a fight with, you know, you're five, six, seven years old, and you have a fight with either your best friend or one of your siblings, you know, your brother or sister, and immediately you get into that mindset that, you know, I don't like you anymore. You might even say the word, I hate you, and you no longer share your toys, and you hoard all of your stuff, and there's this emotional space that starts to build up. Remember all that, what that was like? Then you didn't want to talk to each other. Well, any, you know, good parent or guardian or friend of the family, when they immediately saw that, they would, you know, launch into action because they knew that it was important that they'd have to reconcile the impasse that existed there. Now, I don't know what your home was like, but whenever that would take place between either me and my brothers or me and my sister or me and a friend, my par- obviously it happened a lot because I can quote three different areas, my parents would come along and they would immediately want to rectify that and get us into a pathway of reconciliation. And you know what they would do. Doug, tell your brother... Oh, you've all been there. Yeah. Tell your brother, I'm sorry. Right? That was the big phrase that would tie everything. They just sort of wash everything over. My parents didn't really care who started it, what happened, who broke what. They wanted reconciliation between people. So they would come back and they'd say, Doug, tell your brother. And they'd tell my brother or my sister, tell them you're sorry. We'd both have to say that. And you know what we were like as kids. I mean, you were all angels, weren't you? I was a little bit of the other guy. Because I, I would sit there and it was like everything inside of me. Because they'd say, tell your brother you're sorry. you go, sorry. And they would just go. And you know they're going to call you out. You know, like the fallacy of our words before they get out of our mouth. And you go, it was a half-hearted attempt at best. And they go, say it like Oh, man, I feel so good this morning. You guys have all had the same experience. Say it like you mean it. In other words, don't give a half-hearted effort. you got to own it. You have to embrace it. And that's exactly what takes place in this whole aspect of being a peacemaker. It's this purposeful intention to bring reconciliation into situations that are embroiled in strife and conflict. And you say it like you mean it. You know, the essential principles of the kingdom of God are absolutely liberating. Every Christian, every follower of Jesus Christ, think about this, we're called to be peacemakers. Now, we've been learning over the past number of weeks now that that the Beatitudes are like building blocks or stepping stones. One builds upon the other, and as we progressively move our way through, we see the liberty of God's kingdom take place. So by the time we reach this beatitude, and Jesus said, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. This really isn't a difficult principle to embrace if you've been living and embracing the rest. Because as a citizen of God's kingdom, here's what we've discovered. Early, early on, we've discovered that because of God's grace towards me, what God has done for me, I can now easily do for others. That because God was my peacemaker, God was your peacemaker through Jesus Christ, he said, then blessed are you as peacemakers, you are now, I am now called to be a peacemaker. Now this is really challenging because how many of you have ever had a fight, a disagreement, or an area of tension in the last 365 days? Only two. Beautiful. No, I, you know what? The murmur says enough, doesn't it? Because we all know when we, we know our body goes into high stress mode when we're in conflict. I'd venture to say 
if we want to look at world history, that if 4,000 years of humankind have told us that less than 300 or less than 10% were peaceful, then I would probably venture to say that less than 10% of us in the room have probably lived an entire year without a stress moment or a conflict moment that we had to manage our way through. And here's where the tension comes. Because Jesus said, if you want to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, then you have to be a peacemaker. And whoa, I don't know about you, but when I'm having a really good disagreement with Laura, I don't want to be a peacemaker. I want to win. I I want to argue for my right. Now, just to be clear, she always wins. But she's always the peacemaker as well. And she just tells me, Doug, say you're sorry. But we're all like that. I love Laura, just so you know. Christmas is coming. (laughs) But this whole call to be a peacemaker is the only thing, it's the only principle that will ensure longevity of a relationship and continuous reconciliation. You know, last weekend, and I want to thank you just for, uh, you know, as, as I make, sometimes I have to be away from the church. Uh, you just you keep moving on. I just appreciate it so much about our church. But last weekend, I was back home with my siblings celebrating my parents' 60th wedding anniversary. 60 years. Yeah. And uh, I'll guarantee you, neither one was tied up in an opposite room of the house. They are as much in love today as they were when they first got married. 80th birthdays this year and 60th wedding anniversary. An incredible achievement. And I thought about this whole thing. It's this call to be peacemakers that when tension comes, how did they achieve 60 years? They refused to allow lingering tension and conflict and strife to exist. They lived as citizens of the kingdom, and that's hard work because often we would rather live as peaceful people but never dealing with the issues. So let's go back and look at what we're learning here this morning. Because of God's grace in my life, I am called to be a peacemaker. Romans 14, 19, look in the screen or in your notes. It says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and towards mutual edification. Notice the statement. Do whatever it takes. Make every effort Until you exhaust every last resource, you haven't been a peacemaker. I haven't been a peacemaker. So citizenship affords us the privileges and opportunities of God's wonderful grace. And and I know we love God's grace, and we just lavish ourselves in the beauty of His grace. But citizenship in God's kingdom not only gives me all these wonderful privileges and opportunities, but it also calls out of me responsibilities and duties. Like any country, as citizens of our country, we have the privileges and opportunities of citizenship in this land, but we also have duties and responsibilities to act and to live accordingly as good citizens. And so in the kingdom of God, my duty and my responsibility is that I have to be a peacemaker. Now, if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. It must have absolutely shocked those that we're listening to Jesus. These are the ones where the expectation was a deep desire for a powerful, conquering Messiah king. They were longing for national and a military kingdom. They were looking for the King David who would sweep back in and be the warrior king, the one who was mighty and thousands fell before him. And so the Messiah king coming surely had to be greater than King David. But who is this one that sits on the side of a hill and speaks of the kingdom of God 
and says, Blessed are the peacemakers. For that was not in their vocabulary, and that was not in their expectation. You see, Jesus is declaring that God's kingdom is not based upon power and domination and threat and control. God's kingdom is not about fear-based compliance. It is about faith-based cooperation and grace. Peter was the one quick with the sword, ready to avenge those, ready to avenge Jesus when those were seeking to do him harm. And in the garden during the time of prayer when the arrest was taking place, reaches for a sword and attacks one close to Jesus. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, remember Peter, those who live by the the sword will die by the sword. It's not about control and conquest and power. It was also this same Peter who later would write to the church, the young church that he was now shepherding. And in 1 Peter 3.11, on the screen for you this morning, these are words out of Psalm 34 that he quotes. And he said, those that follow God, they must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. The one who held the sword with the blood dripping from the blade is the one who says now that we must be those who seek peace and we must pursue it. See, blessed are the peacemakers, for Peter discovered that only then do you really truly become the sons of God. There's another principle I think we learn out of this this morning, if you want to fill in the blanks, it's this, that the pathway to peace, the pathway to peace is the pilgrimage of self-denial. That in our quest to truly experience what peace is, this wonderful universal ideal that everybody really longs for and everybody really talks about, but to get there, it takes us on a journey or a pilgrimage of self-denial takes us into the very life of Jesus where Jesus willingly chose in obedience to the Father when God says, I need a peacemaker to restore the broken relationship between man and between God. And it was Jesus who emptied himself and left heaven. And he said, I'll be the peacemaker. I will give up, I will self-deny, and I will surrender to the limitations of flesh. I will give away that which is rightfully mine and I will choose a life of limitations and I will do it for one purpose, that man will now have a peacemaker. So Jesus, in a journey of self-denial, brought to us that which we longed for and needed desperately but we could never achieve, and that was peace with God. And it's so through his life that we are reconciled to God. This is precisely what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look there in your notes or on the screen. He says to this young church, he said, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Interesting. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. That those who long to be a part of the kingdom have now been entrusted with an incredible mandate. Not just to enjoy the peace of the kingdom, but to be the peacemakers who invite others into the kingdom. There's a difference between peacemaking and appeasement. I think sometimes we settle for appeasement hoping that that is really the tenet of peace that we seek. But there's a difference between peacemaking and appeasement. See, I think appeasement is really pursuing peace at all costs. It means compromise, giving up, overlooking faults and wrongs, negotiation, deflection, avoidance. I think all of us can look at situations of tension and go, yeah, they just simply appeased the situation. Peacemaking is something different. 
When Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, what he was driving at is, blessed are those that regardless of the cost, whether it be personal insult or injury, misunderstanding or rejection, blessed are those who put themselves in harm's way, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are willing to allow others to say ill or evil of them so that peace might truly come into a situation. James reminds us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's the path of a peacemaker. Proverbs tells us that a gentle answer will turn away wrath, but a harsh word will stir up anger. See, that's the pathway of a peacemaker. Ephesians tells us that speaking the truth in love is the mandate that we are all called to. And sometimes it's hard, but that's the path of a peacemaker. I think we would be wrong or neglectful if we overlook this principle that peace is often only truly achieved or realized through pain. And many times it's not the pain on the parties at conflict, it's the pain on the one who mediates peace on their behalf. Sometimes the pain is in apologizing to a person who has injured us, and when they don't even know what they've done, but it's painful to take the first step. Sometimes it's taking the step towards reconciliation when we are offended, when it's refusing to worship without first going and reconciling for the offense is keeping us in relationship to God. It means risking misunderstanding, ingratitude, or even failure for the sake of others. See, peacemaking is tough. That's why this beatitude, which somehow seems as if it is the most achievable in the list, might be the most difficult to truly embrace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. See, blessed are you, mom and dad, when you don't exasperate your children and drive them towards rebellion, but you look for a way to reconcile them into relationship with you. Blessed are you, children, you will be called sons of God when you don't look for ways to rebel and defy against your parents but you look for ways to clear up misunderstanding and find solutions to disagreements that will inevitably arise in any relationship. Blessed are the co-workers who, when they see injustice with another co-worker, will speak up or intervene on their behalf. Blessed is the friend who will risk rejection and the loss of other friendships in order to restore relational breakdown. Blessed is a neighbor who refuses to mind their own business when they know that serious abuse, trauma, violence, and neglect is happening in the home next to them. And blessed is a citizen who refused to allow chaos to reign supreme in a society or to allow corruption to go unchecked and to violate their peace. Blessed are the peacemakers because their life will not be an easy one but they will have the very character of God. James 3.17, it says this, but the wisdom that is from God above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds, and it shows no favoritism, and it always is sincere. It's hard to be a peacemaker, but it's the call and the privilege of every one of us who would choose to be citizens in the kingdom of God. So when Jesus threw this out, this small group of people in front of him, man, what a challenge. Because all that was inside, all the emotion, all the angst, all the animosity, 
all the lens of understanding was being challenged by a brand new paradigm. Well, one last principle, and then we'll just wrap this up. You know, what can we learn about being a peacemaker? Well, here it is. The prospect of peace is futile without personally knowing the Prince of Peace. Now, don't skate across that too quick. I have watched in my lifetime as there have been summits, conventions, gatherings, groups, negotiations. Have you ever noticed that there has been no enduring peace treaty that has really lasted for any length of time? History proves that to us. Why is that? You cannot negotiate peace without first changing a heart. That until those that are attempting to seek peace have a change of heart, true peace will always be the most elusive thing. When we look at what peace really is, the absence of peace is not merely a political, economic, or a social issue. At its very core, it is a deeply spiritual and theological issue. We know that the heart of man is steeped in sin. And until you deal with the heart, peace is unattainable, for it is in the heart where it is the source of lust and greed, selfishness, strife, anger, discord, envy, and pride. It is the heart which ultimately causes enmity between individuals and families and friends and relatives and citizens and societies and nations. And so until the heart has been reconciled to the peacemaker, true peace will always be that elusive quality. Only a new heart, only a new heart, can be one who could be called a a peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. You looked at that last week and you talked about it. For those who are pure in heart will see God, and it's those who see God that understand how it is they can become peacemakers. Because once you've seen God and His love and the purity of His love, you can't help but want everyone to know the exact same experience that you've had. So blessed are those who are pure in heart, and blessed are those who are the peacemakers. It is for those who choose to be peacemakers. What's rather interesting, isn't it, that we talk about those who contend for peace at this season of the year? Have you noticed the Christmas carols are now playing on the radio? It's the season in which, at least for us, that we have chosen to celebrate the birth and the arrival of Christ. It's in Luke chapter 2.14 where the angels would pronounce peace on earth and uh, good news to all men. Why? Because the arrival of the Prince of Peace was there. In the Jewish concept and mindset at the time, the expression of the greeting wasn't hello, it was shalom. And to understand shalom, shalom is that essence of peace, but it's peace with a bigger connotation. It's peace with wholeness. It's all embracing. To say shalom was to wish them the true experience of God in their life, the one who is the peacemaker. Just prior to his crucifixion, Jesus got together with his disciples. And do you remember what he said to them? My peace I leave with you. Why did he say that? Because he knew his journey was headed to the cross and the peacemaker, the prince of peace, was about to reconcile that which keeps us apart from God. My peace I leave with you. Following the resurrection on the road to Emmaus, Jesus comes across those and on two different occasions He says to them these words, peace be with you. Powerful. He wasn't just going, hey, it's a great day to be alive. What he was saying is, do you understand that the peacemaker, the prince of peace, has made it possible now for that word shalom, peace be with you, 
to be realized in your everyday life. What a powerful, powerful God. So the only prospect of peace available for us today is to truly be reconciled to God. So here's a question. Are you at peace with the Prince of Peace? Have you personally allowed the peacemaker to bring your heart into reconciliation with the God that created you? Sometimes on a Sunday we'll talk about saying yes to Jesus, giving your life to Jesus Christ. That's what this really is that we can strive for peace in every other dimension of our lives, but it will always feel empty and flat until our heart is first at peace with God. It's futile without that relationship. And I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm not going to ask you to raise a hand. I'm not going to ask anybody to pray in the room. I'm just going to give you a challenge. Every venue, every room. Are you at peace with your peacemaker? Has your heart been reconciled back to God? Look at the screen. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, we read this. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That if you choose this morning, you can allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life, reconcile your heart back to God, and you can be faultless and blameless before the God of this universe. Now, friends, that's peace. So blessed is the peacemaker. He was the Son, and He is the Son of God. So this morning, as we strive to become citizens of the kingdom, unless we first bend our knee to Christ, we will never fully achieve that for which He has called us. So I challenge you. Blessed are you who are peacemakers, for then you will be the sons of God. His character will be stamped on you. Let's pray. So Father, this morning... Uh, in a world where chaos and strife is so rampant, I would venture to say that there are a lot in the room and in the venues that are listening to me today where their hearts experience those same heightened levels of discord. And so we pray by your Spirit, would you do that for which Jesus Christ came? Would you be our peacemaker? For men and women and and young people, even children, today, let them say yes to Jesus. Help them to understand that forgiveness is available. Your love and your restoration and your grace is there. And then for those of us that aspire to be citizens of the kingdom, remind us once more what it is to be a peacemaker, that we can't stand by on the sidelines and watch when discord and disunity and strife reign supreme. But it is our mandate to be reconcilers, to bring the peace of God to where strife exists. And so I pray by your Spirit, would you do that through our lives today? And I ask it in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.